Just a quick note, toppers, don't forget to go check out the support the podcast page on my website, turnofphrases.com. Although my sponsors don't change, Audible, Boss Boxes, and Amazon, sometimes the offers I have available to you do. So check it out often. Okay, no one likes ads, so let's end this one here. Please listen carefully. Good day to you, toppers, and welcome to episode 19 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Since this episode is dropping the day before Halloween, I thought it would be fitting to do a theme involving creepy and scary phrases. So, that's what we have for today. We're going to look at skeletons in closets, saved by the bell, and graveyard shift, to name a few. Don't be scared, toppers, as we explore these spooky phrases' origins, history, and more. Our first idiom of the day is a skeleton in the closet. Some people say the phrase as skeleton in the cupboard, but the meaning is the same no matter where you're keeping your skeleton. It means you have a secret, often a scandalous or embarrassing one. The origin of the saying goes back to early medical exploration, specifically doctors wanting to study cadavers for research purposes. In Britain, this was a mostly illegal practice until the Anatomy Act was passed by Parliament in 1832. This act was passed because people were getting really tired of the popularity of illegally selling corpses. Now, why were people selling corpses at all, legal or not? Because, frankly, back then, the best way to get a look inside the human body was to cut one open. Since living people tend to have an aversion to being cut open, cadavers were the best option for doctors to get a really good look inside at what made humans tick. However, the only legal way to study cadavers before the Anatomy Act was to use the bodies of executed criminals. While prisoner executions were more common back then than now, it still limited the amount of bodies available to curious physicians. This lack of material led to the practice of doctors keeping the skeletons of the bodies they'd obtained, hiding them away for future study. Therefore, they might literally have a skeleton in their closet, even if they obtained it legally. Another thing that rose from the caveat of only being able to dissect executed prisoners is that doctors would try to supplement their body count by purchasing corpses from people who'd, in the best case, robbed a grave, or in the worst case, killed the person. Doctors paid handsomely for cadavers, and they usually didn't ask where they came from. Illegally obtained cadavers were hidden away even more so than the legal ones, leading to the furthering of the idiom meaning someone has a dark secret. As I already mentioned, the public's unhappiness with the ever-rising trends of body snatching and murder led to the passing of the Anatomy Act. The earliest known idiomatic use of the phrase is found in a philosophical treatise on the hereditary peculiarities of the human race by Joseph Adams, a British physician and surgeon. In 1815, he stated, quote, In these, as in many other highly important questions, men seem afraid of inquiring after truth. Cautions on cautions are multiplied to conceal the skeleton in the closet or to prevent its escape. End quote. Now, in this work, he's talking about congenital disease and the shame that was associated with it at the time. But it shows that the phrase was well known and being used idiomatically by then. It also shows that at least the first use in print as an idiom used closet. So while skeletons, literal and figurative ones, can be hidden in cupboards too, 
closets do seem to be the original hiding spot for the saying. Now let's move on to our next idiom of the day, saved by the bell. Saved by the bell means you're saved from something either by something else or sometimes it's used to say you're saved in the nick of time. The most common believed origin of this idiom is definitely creepy. It has to do with being buried alive, which unfortunately used to happen a lot. Back before modern medicine and the tools it created, if someone went into a comatose state and their heartbeat and or breathing slowed down enough for others to be unable to detect them, they were considered dead because, well, they appeared to be. There are documented stories of people being exhumed for various reasons where the people unearthing them found claw marks on the inside of the coffin lid, torn fingernails on the corpse, and looks of terror on their faces. This naturally led to a fear of being buried alive, because it was a legit thing to be concerned about. Honestly, the idea of being buried alive still sounds horrible, even though it's extremely unlikely these days. This fear was at its high point around the 18th century, and it affected people from all walks of life, even presidents, for George Washington made the following request on his deathbed, quote, Have me decently buried. Do not let my body be put into a vault in less than two days after I am dead. End quote. To help put an end to the horrific accidental live burials, a couple of practices came about. Bodies would be left out for observation for a few days before burial to make sure they didn't wake back up. In addition to this, starting in the 19th century, if you could afford it, you could get one of the new coffins on the market. Some had glass openings to allow you to check up on the body, some had pipes to look down through, and some had a string the person could pull if they woke up in the coffin underground. These strings were attached to bells. If they awoke and pulled the string, the bell rang, and they could be rescued. Or in other words, they were literally saved by the bell. Now, while there are people that dispute this is the origin of the phrase, these so-called safety coffins definitely existed. In fact, patents and designs for them were still being submitted up until at least 1955. No one knows exactly when this phrase turned idiomatic, but some think it has to do with boxing, not burial. The end of a round in boxing matches is signaled by the ringing of a bell. Therefore, if someone is not doing well, they get a break and can refocus at the end of a round, and are said to have been saved by the bell. This version of the saying is first known to be in print in the February 1893 edition of the Fitchburg Daily Sentinel, a Massachusetts newspaper. It read, quote, Martin Flattery defeated Bobby Burns in 32 rounds by a complete knockout. Half a dozen times, Flattery was saved by the bell in the earlier rounds. End quote. Whether you want to believe this saying comes from death, boxing, or a combination of both, this is a time-tested and approved idiom that doesn't look like it'll need to be saved from lack of use anytime soon. Now let's look at the idiom graveyard shift. To work the graveyard shift or the graveyard watch means you work late at night or early in the morning. The hours people attribute to the shift can vary, but it often includes midnight in the shift, either near the beginning or the end. The term begins to show up around the late 19th century, and there's no coincidence that it showed up around the same time as the safety coffins, because many people think the origin of graveyard shift is directly connected to saved by the bell. The theory is that since people were using these newfangled coffins with bells on them, Someone needed to be around all day to hear the life-saving bells when they were rung by the buried people. So, if you took on the job of hanging out at the graveyard during the night to listen for bells, 
you worked the graveyard shift. Now, even though we know for a fact that safety coffins existed, and it's not too far-fetched to imagine that folks hung out to listen for the bells, there are many people who think this idiom has nothing to do with sitting in graveyards. The other prevalent theory for the phrase is much simpler. Typically, most places are quieter at night than during the day, so working late-night hours may lend itself to being in an environment that felt somewhat like being in a graveyard, a place that is also typically quiet and not full of people. Well, living people. Therefore, the people having to work these hours just adopted the phrasing because of its similarity to the feeling of being in a graveyard. The first known print usage is from the Salt Lake Tribune, a Utah newspaper. In June of 1897, it had the following statement, quote, The police changed shifts for the month yesterday. This month, Sergeant Ware takes the morning relief, Sergeant Matt Rhodes the middle, and Sergeant John Burbridge the graveyard shift. End quote. There's no way to know for sure if the origin of this idiom is literal or figurative, but either way, it evokes thoughts of working alone and late at night. Let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. Just a metaphor. Okay, toppers, I actually have three metaphors today because they're all closely related in meaning and in origin. The three metaphorical phrases are to make one's blood boil, make the blood run cold, and in cold blood. All three of them are old, thought to come about around the 17th century. They also share the origin of medical misunderstandings. First is make one's blood boil, which means to be extremely angry, especially if you feel you have to hold in those angry feelings. Back in old-timey times, people thought that anger actually caused your blood to physically boil. It makes sense, in a way, because anger can cause you to feel physically hot and blood might rush to your face, making it appear as if the blood is boiling up to the top of your body. In 1880, we see the phrase used metaphorically in Love and Life, written by English novelist Charlotte Young. She wrote, quote, Dove says it makes her blood boil to see the way the poor young gentleman is treated. End quote. Now, to the other extreme, making someone's blood run cold. This metaphor means that you've been terrified. Like its warmer cousin, this one is thought to come about because when people get scared enough, the blood might drain from their face, making them look pale, therefore making it seem as if they're colder than normal. It first shows up metaphorically in print in Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist, which he wrote in 1838. He said, quote, Little Oliver's blood ran cold as he listened to the Jews' words and imperfectly comprehended the dark threats conveyed in them. End quote. Last but not least, in cold blood, meaning something is done without emotion, comes from the same incorrect medical understanding as the other two. For someone to do a heinous act seemingly without any emotion made others think their blood was cold, maybe not providing accurate warmth and emotion to the perpetrator. The cool-headedness needed to do something others consider to be evil or even just mean tends to make violent people stand out even more. The first known print usage of this one is a bit older, from 1711. It was in The Spectator, a daily publication from England published by Joseph Addison and Richard Steele. In a March edition, they included this quote, I must confess, had he murdered her before the audience, the indecency might have been greater. But as it is, it appears very unnatural and looks like killing in cold blood. End quote. 
So even though our blood doesn't change temperature to the extreme that old-timey folks thought it did, these bloody metaphors make a lot of sense. And now it's time for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've got it open to a page of Francis Bacon's works, and it's from his work of studies. It says, Some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. <laughs> chewed and digested. His name's Bacon. <laughs> anyway, I have to say I agree. Thanks for that, Francis Bacon. And that's going to do it for today's familiar quotation. Alright then, toppers, that's all I've got for episode 19. Thank you for joining me once again to Turn Some Phrases. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something along the way. Check out my show notes for all my social media, contact information, and sponsor information. Don't forget that you can send me topic suggestions, and if you do, let me know if you want a shout-out or if you want to remain anonymous. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a review. A five-star rating and quick review are one of the best ways you can help me and the podcast out. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thank you again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, produced, and hosted by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, don't eat all your Halloween candy in one sitting.